Welcome everyone to the new edition of the Multimedia Men Podcast Network. I'm Brian Kluger and we have such an amazing, fantastic, phenomenal show today. We're going to be talking about the new movie, the new documentary, Skin, A History of Nudity in the Movies, which is basically the world heavyweight champion of documentaries. It is the definitive documentary that should be shown in high schools everywhere uh, I truly believe that. And we have the filmmakers here, Danny Wolf, Paul Fishbein, and Jim McBride, as you might know him as Mr. Skin and Mr. Man, which is basically the Wikipedia and IMDb uh, version of nudity in motion pictures. It's a must, must see. Uh, but yeah, uh, gra glad to have you all on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. We are the undisputed champion right now of uh, the definitive documentaries on nudity. So thank you. That is correct. That, no, it is correct. I've watched it, and I firmly believe that it should be definitely required viewing for high schools to educate and show just how all of it happened and not to be afraid of it. But first, we'll get into that. I want to start with each of you, uh, starting with Danny. Where did it all begin for you? In, in for movies, was it something you watched when you were little, your parents showed you, a friend showed you? Where did it all begin for you? It was just going to movies when I was small and going to theaters and seeing anything that was grindhouse or exploitation. I was really into when I was young. So I'd, any spider or snake movie, like I would go even by myself to go see matinees. Really in high school, there was a theater on Hollywood Boulevard called the World Theater. And it was three movies for $1.50. And all they were was horror and sci-fi. But the low, you know, it was like humanoids from the deep, blood eaters and New Year's Evil one week. And next week could be three others. And we were there every single Friday night for at least three straight years. And that's carried over now to my clubhouse, which is the New Beverly Cinema, Quentin Tarantino's theater. So I still, as, as Paul does locally living in LA, we have some great rep theaters, like the America Cinema Tech and the Arrow and the New Beverly. So... I still go to the, th I see everything whenever I can, especially anything that's, you know, exploitive, grindhouse, uh, cheerleader exploitation night, snake exploitation night, whatever it is. None exploitation, uh, <laughs> one of my favorites. Uh, a couple, a couple <laughs> times, only a couple times. The triple feature though. Yeah, do, do you remember the first one you, you saw that, that sparked your endeavor? You, you know, I think diamonds are forever. Okay. The early uh, James Bond, Sean Connery's actually almost last James Bond movie is sort of the first movie I remember going to as a kid. And that was, and the rest is mystery. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Paul, what about you? Well, um, I only remember my parents taking me to two movies when I was a kid, starting when I was five years old to see Mary Poppins. And while Mary Poppins blew me away and I would still consider it a favorite film, I didn't, I would love film, but then what happened to me is the, when I had a high school journalism teacher in 11th grade and she was recommending Harold and Maude to the class. And I had no idea what that was. And it played at a cinema called the TLA in Philadelphia. And I went down to the TLA and I saw King of Hearts and Harold and Maude. And Harold and Maude changed my life. Because I said, this, I love movies, but I didn't know there were these kinds of movies. It was so, and again, as I was probably 16 years old, it was so subversive and so unique and so, and, and so warm and funny and, and created every emotion that you could possibly have watching a movie. And I said, that, I, I kind of understood at that point. And then I got to college, I started taking film courses and, you know, the rest is history, so. Awesome, awesome. And, and Jim, where did it all begin for you, sir? Well, my story isn't as nice and pure and wonderful as their story, but uh, I, uh, you know, I was a kid that grew up in the 70s with ABC, NBC, and CBS, and all of a sudden in the fall of 1980, when I was a senior in high school, my dad got me a Betamax and cable television, and that convergence of technologies was uh, uh, earth-shattering to me because now I was able to watch... Uh, you know, uh, drive-in movies, Italian sex comedies, black exploitation films, horror movies that I never knew existed. 
Um, and as a kid that was at that age, I wanted to tape as many uh, nude scenes as I could. So I, uh, I built a huge collection of tapes of nude scenes. It was, and I turned into the fun guy in the 80s and 90s that if you're at a party or a bar, if you ask me any actress, I knew off the top of my head if they had uh, been nude, how far into the movie. And there was really no use for that. Um, there was no way to earn a living off of that. But then uh, the internet came along and uh, by accident, I was in a bar in Chicago where I, where I grew up and live. And uh, uh, a guy overheard my friends quizzing me while we were having beers late one night. And he said, you got to come on my radio show. I think people would be really interested in this. So um, I left my job at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to have my 15 minutes of fame with the name Mr. Skin that we came up with to do the shtick on the radio. And uh, I thought it'd be 15 minutes, I'd go back to work. But as it turned out, it became a a popular segment in Chicago. And um, someone heard me on the radio and said, you know, you got to put what's in your head into a website. And I didn't even know what a website was. Uh, but lo and behold, I raised a little money, not a lot, and launched MrSkin.com in August of uh, 19, August 10th of 1999. And here we are 21 years later. And I have to say, I, I have 40 employees. I, I love what I do. It's so much fun. And here we are, talking about a movie that I'm the executive producer of, uh, you know, and a documentary on nudity in film. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. No, no, it doesn't. And just hearing your story, you must have like a pretty photographic memory if people were always asking you like, how far into a movie? Who's yeah, making except, this? Except when I go to a party and my wife introduces me to someone and 20 minutes later, I ask, what's that name of that person again? So <laughs> it's a very specific photographic memory. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear you. And so uh, I know Paul and Danny, you've worked on uh, the time warp stuff. And Paul, you've, you've, worked with the AVNs and with Jim, with Mr. Skin and Danny, you being a fan and a uh, filmmaker of exploitation and all of this stuff. This kind of seems like the perfect storm, this trio, three amigos coming together for this wonderful documentary. How did that come to be? Well, Danny and I were working on Time Warp, the greatest cult films of all time which is three volumes, all available now on VOD in case anybody's interested. Um, and Jim and I were Jim and I have been friends for years and we did a, we did a couple smaller things together. Um, he hosted a documentary I did for Showtime on the greatest adult stars of all time. And he was the host. And we did a couple things for Playboy TV that kind of used, you know, his greatest scenes. We were looking for something bigger to do. And I was doing this documentary with, with Danny and I called Jim and I said, you know, have you ever thought, have, has it, I think I said, has anybody thought about doing a documentary on you? And he goes, it's so funny you mentioned that. I'm writing a book and it's my 20th anniversary and blah, blah, blah. So, I, so we started to talk about it. And then Jim and I were kind of like, well, maybe we'll do something more serious. You know, we'll leave out the skin, the language, the skin. What do you call those, Jim? Those skin, what do you call those? Skin finitions? What do you? Do yeah, you your skin fin yeah, yeah, your skin finitions. Yeah, your skin finitions. So, <laughs> and we'll do something more serious. And then, so Danny and I flew to Chicago to meet with Jim. And uh, I knew Jim and Danny would get along because they both have, you know, a screw loose. And um, <laughs> it worked out. They they got along, and we sat there on a weekend in Chicago. We really sort of, really just sort of came together. And then we decided again, we, you know, with the Me Too movement, sort of hovering over this and actually having been on set talking to Gina Gershon when we were shooting this, the uh, cult film doc about the Me Too movement, we thought, you know what, we, we, we have to really deal with this head on. And so that sort of, that context it, by itself made it has to be something more serious. So that's sort of how it evolved. That's how it evolved. And you know. Danny, you took over and uh, did you all three come together to like get all these interviews? Because it's, it, when I say definitive, I've seen documentaries that go off on tangents and don't really cover the subject that they claim to, but this does in such a wonderful chronological order and talks about every aspect you'd want to know. Yeah, I mean, the three of us and our producer, Christine Augustin, we, we really, um, you know, we put a wall together of the movies we needed to cover the seminal films, the ones you can't leave out. And it was, you know, a big wall of index cards of films. And we, 
we obviously didn't want this to be exploited. We wanted it to really be something, as you said, that could be shown in high schools or college cinema courses, you know, a definitive history all the way from the beginning, from the 1880s when film was invented to where we are today. So we want to do something special, informative, uh, that you can learn something and obviously be fun and entertaining. And I think we captured that, but it really, you know, you come up with the movies. What are we going to cover? And we went decade by decade, which seemed to kind of lend itself naturally to do a documentary like this because how things changed over the years, like the production code, the MPAA, uh, censorship. Um, so, you know, you put your movies up like The Last Tango in Paris, we're going to obviously cover. Caligula, we're going to obviously There's Midnight Cowboy, there's the film. So you put a wall together and then uh, what are the first? Like we need to include the first nude scene ever, the first male nude scene, because we do male and female nudity. And then you start plugging in really like, who are we gonna go interview? And you cast a really wide net. And we, you know, hundreds of names of people we'd like to interview who've done nudity, and not just actors and actresses, but directors and authors and critics and experts. And then you start going after them. And that's kind of the fun part of putting this together is who you can interview. And it's fun to have this wish list and then actually like, like, wouldn't it be amazing if Mariel Hemingway would do an interview and talk about personal best and starity and then like, yes, we have her. And then the day you're interviewing her, it kind of, you really feel that's when it's all coming together. Like we're really getting some great people to give their experiences on the subject. And then here we are today. Here we are today. Uh, and I'm just so happy that some of the movies that, I've watched over the years that I have unwillingly shown or that I've shown unwillingly to people or willingly to people that are unwilling to watch it, such as the 1970s musical porn, Alice in Wonderland. I own that and I've shown that at dinner parties in the background and it <laughs> creates some good conversation. I'm glad we covered that. Um, but I'm just curious, uh, uh, when going through something like that, uh, you have to go down such a far, I guess, pun intended rabbit hole for stuff like that. Is the goal to, um, I guess, hope for people to watch these things and just showcase kind of what, like educational, how far it is. And it was great to see kind of the actresses talk about that and where they were in their time and actually enjoy being a part of it. Yeah, I think, I think it, it, it's a little bit about um, our tendencies, all of us to not really be in the mainstream as much. Uh, meaning we look for the sort of fringe stuff. We look for the fringe movies. We look for the fringe actors. We like to, we, because of doing the experience of these two projects, we like giving voice to performers who may have been forgotten or who had their one thing that happened that they were famous for a short time and they seem sort of lost. It kind of brings them back. Like Diane Franklin, who, you know, as you know, was last, American hero and Virgin, best American virgin. And when you saw her in the documentary, you could see how articulate she was. She's out doing press for this for us. We and she was happy to do it because for her, it's like, oh, okay, I'm I'm getting a little bit of my fame back. And she's forgotten, and she's terrific, and she's smart, and maybe this will help her get some some better acting gigs. So I think that's sort of our tendency. Obviously, if we could have gotten Jennifer Lawrence. To, to interview her, we would have, but she turned us down, so. But there's, there's a cool factor, Brian, I think, in doing these documentaries that if you're into films, whatever the subject matter is, that you never know who's gonna pop up next. So to see a Camille Keaton from I Spit on Your Grave, yeah. or as you mentioned, you know, uh, or a, a Ken Davidian from Borat, you're watching a documentary on nudity, you're not gonna automatically think Ken Davidian's gonna pop up in this documentary, but you know what? He did nudity in a very popular movie, and why shouldn't he be involved in a documentary and has a great story to tell? So there is that, I think it's cool when you're watching this that you just never know, like Christine DeBell from Alice in Wonderland. I don't think you'd ever expect her to pop up in this documentary, but here she is. So there is a, I've had a lot of people tell me like, oh, wow, we can't believe they're so-and-so. We didn't even think of them. Then the obvious of getting a Kathleen Turner or whoever, a Jennifer Lawrence, or, you know, it's, I think we threw in some really cool people that you wouldn't expect to see. You know, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I want to say Alice in Wonderland that you seem to like and show it at um, dinner parties 
is an important movie to me. It was kind of on our list because it was about a girl when I was in high school that I took to see it on a first date. So for me, it was a very important film to include for personal reasons. That's like the best first date ever. <laughs> yeah. I remember the girl. I remember everything that happened that night. I like, I remember, I can't remember what I had for breakfast today, but that I can re- that night I remember very Did you well. go on a second date? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. excellent. Yeah, a few. And- and they went to see Pinocchio. <laughs> not, not necessarily. <laughs> so speaking of the, the cast of people that are interviewing, um, we could all agree that Malcolm McDowell is a goddamn national treasure and candid and wonderful. So with him being so open and free, um, was there, is there any, uh, uncool, any uncool uncovered facts that came out during the interviews that you weren't able to put in the movie? Like somebody just got off talking about, it's like, I didn't know that from Holly. I didn't know that from the production. So I'm, I imagine you have like thousands of hours of footage. Danny, did you, that thing he was talking about where he was looking at a bird, but they just yeah. put in porn. Like, I didn't know about that. Uh, before the documentary or before the interview? Yeah, I mean, Malcolm McDowell is, is full of great stories. He's, he's incredible to interview. You're just on the edge of your seat and he's, he's a great storyteller. I mean, you know, the first cut of skin was about five and a half hours. <laughs> so yes, it's very painstakingly long to cut stuff out because you're in love with everything in your first cut. You want everything in there, but you can't have a five and a half hour dog unless it's called Time Warp. So we, it, it was, it took a long time, months to narrow it down. So a lot of good stories, unfortunately have to come out for time. I mean, one story that I loved and it was, uh, we didn't include it and it really doesn't per se have anything to do with nudity was Muriel Hemingway and Eric Roberts talking about the filming of star 80 and how the scene of the murder is actually the room, the real room where Dorothy Stratton got murdered. Bob Fosse rented out the actual condo, Dorothy Stratton's condo. So they both told the story of how hard and difficult it was to shoot the, sh- the murder scene in the actual room where she got murdered. It was a, uh, it's a condo in Brentwood, California. And strangely enough, Bob Fosse demanded that Muriel Hemingway and Eric Roberts spend the night in that room and sleep there the night before they were going to shoot the murder scene. And Muriel Hemingway split. She's like, I'm not doing this. It's not in my contract. No way. Eric Roberts did and couldn't sleep and said he was yelling from the bedroom. This is ridiculous. Can I come out? I can't sleep in here. And Bob Fosse was sleeping in the living room and kept telling Eric Roberts to shut up and go to sleep. <laughs> so I just thought that was, it's such a great movie, but a lot of people don't know. And we took it out of the dock that that, scene of that murder is the actual real bedroom where uh, the murder took place that's a method <laughs> that's as method as you can get man. yeah uh uh paul what about you is there anything you remember yeah well there were you know i don't think that you know everybody was talking on the record so it's not that we couldn't put stuff in there were this there was more discussion from a couple of the actresses about abusive tactics um, and when you, when you start to go down that rabbit hole, it's a whole different documentary. So not that we were trying to hide anybody's position. We, we didn't care about that, but it was like, yeah, you know, you can include a little bit of that, but if you start to go down that rabbit hole, all of a sudden it's a different movie and then you have to really start dealing with it. So that's probably another documentary that we'll do at some point, but, um, other than that, I mean, there was, we, look, we took a few of the stories that got cut out and we put them over the end credits because that story that Malcolm McDowell tells about the set of Caligula with John Gielgud is just fantastic. Um, but it's, it's, there, there was, I mean, there was, like, like, for example, Erica Gavin's story, which we thought was very important about, you know, her, seeing herself naked on the screen for the first time. That's like a 10 minute story. So it took about, two weeks to edit that down to a soundbite that was workable. So, you know, it's hard, it's hard to do that because if you just let it go, I'm telling you, you, we were down more, we were down more, uh, more tangents than we could even handle. So, you know, I like that. And another 
interview that really stuck out to me because of her way of being unfiltered is Sean Young. Yeah. Oh my, I, I just love her. And what was it like with you three? I mean, to talk with her, hear her stories, her point of view and all of that. And I'm sure you were like, oh, like we got gold here. Well, we, we interviewed her in Time Twice. Lord for Blade Runner. Twice, yeah. yeah we've inter- so we interviewed her in our last documentary about Blade Runner and she is, correct Brian, unfiltered and that's what makes her a great interview, is she's out there. So you know you're gonna get some interesting uh, comments. So when we approached her to do this interview about No Way Out, she said yes, which we were lucky uh, to go to New York and interview her. And you're right, it's, it's the people you really want to interview are those that are unfiltered, that don't really want to hold back, and she doesn't care. And that is sort of her reputation, um, you know, around, but we love Sean Young, and we're glad she's in the documentary, and her stories about No Way Out and the filming with Kevin Costner are good. So, uh, yeah, she's great. I do want to say something about Sean Young. Despite her reputation, she was lovely with us both times. Absolutely. Easy, on time, sweet, smart. So whatever was going on with those stories in her life, we didn't see any of that, you know. So I just right. want to say that. I want to be and on She the didn't come dressed as Catwoman to the interview. She didn't do that. So <laughs> um, we, we appreciated that. Right. And I just love that <clears throat> she's done so much in the, the history of nudity and even a little bit doing like, you know, transgender almost in a funny way in Ace Ventura. I think she's, she, she, they cast her for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She, she's doing it. Uh, so with Skin, A History of Nudity in the movies, what, how, how extensive is the research? I'm sure, um, Jim, uh, you came in perfectly for this to help out with research and where can we start? Where do we go? What do we leave out? What do we put in? What has to put in? What was the research like and how long did that take? Well, I thought it was a, it was a definitely a group effort. I mean, Danny and Paul, you have to understand, you know, did the lion's share of the actual work, but one of the great things about this and, and listen, I, from the beginning, I knew there had never been a documentary on this subject. I'd always wanted to do something, not necessarily a documentary, but something uh, in regards to this. But it wasn't until I was able to partner with Paul and he was able to get Danny. And I had some writers that had worked for me that were very helpful in this because it really isn't something any one person could put together. You need a lot of help to kind of capture the history of nudity in in movies because I'll tell you, there was even stuff, you know, I like to think I know everything when it comes to this subject, but uh, you'll know, anyone who watches this movie, when you look at the pre-Hays Code stuff and what was going on with Audrey Munson in 1915 or Clara Bow and Wings or, um, uh, you know, even uh, Hedy Lamar and Ecstasy, I think people that watch this documentary, number one, those nude scenes are going to seem like this, I can't believe this existed, but also just the debauchery of like what was going on in movies in the silent film era and up until the early thirties before the Hays Code kicked in. It's a, uh, it's, it's a cool part of the documentary and obviously that's the early part, but uh, I think a lot of people are going to be shocked at uh, what was going on, on in, in movies uh, prior to 1934. Right. And so here, here's a, here's a, a, a you know, not like a political question, but something similar. What do you think scares people about skin, the exposure of skin, rather than hardcore violence on movies? I know you interviewed a lot of scholars for this film. What what was their take? What's your take on why people would be more inclined not to see something because they're scared or they think it's wrong, more or less seeing something of somebody, people getting shot in the head? I can take this if you guys want. Um, My politics uh, are very much entrenched with First Amendment rights because I ran AVN. I I started AVN and I ran it for almost 30 years, which was the definitive trade publication for the adult video industry. And I was around when people were being... Uh, raided by the government and and put on trial for selling movies by uh, by um, 
consenting adults to consenting adults and saw friends, people I did business with actually go to jail for obscenity. So I'm very entrenched in that world. And it was always this argument from the porn industry. You can, I think it was something like, you can uh, show, you can cut off a woman's breast and it gets an R, but if you show someone getting, getting a breast kissed, it's obscene. And that's exactly the point. It's like sex is dirty and violence is okay. And we're not going to, we're, we're going to go after people who are performing consenting sex or nudity in this case, but we're going to allow all this horrible violence on screen. There should be no censorship. There should be parental guidance and parental control. There should be, you know, age restrictions and all of that stuff. And so, you know, when you, when we do something as benign as simple nudity, it's fascinating that the Catholic league in the thirties went insane and forced the studios to create this production code because they were going to shut down Hollywood for the simple showing of a breast. And it's ridiculous. And I think the Europeans as pointed out in our movie, they laughed at us and they still laugh at us and they're laughing at us for other reasons now too. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it, we're a very puritanical society, as violent as we are, and as gun-toting a society as we are, we, we, we have issues with sex, and we have issues with nudity, which is insane. And so. I wonder what the psyche behind that is, it's as if so many generations pass down that it's morally wrong, but we because, all do it, you know? Well, we're one nation under God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once you put God into politics and government, people grow up. I, I don't want to get into that because, you know, I'll lose fans. So I'll lose, <laughs> we'll lose rentals on the skin dock. We need, we need people to go to Amazon and iTunes tomorrow and rent it. <laughs> well, the, that's why I like the documentary because it shows that side of, like you said, the European side of like, oh, it's, you know, we're, there's new beaches, you know, there's new commercials. And then here in the U.S., like everything's frowned upon nudity wise but you can show the most horrific violence like in blood feast and it'd be okay <laughs> jim, let, let I, I think jim can answer this better I, jim I, is it your do you agree with me that it's television that sort of helped open things up a little bit and that maybe new movies have gotten a little more conservative and television's gotten crazy with the new yeah i for sure i'm brian when i launched mr skin in 99 there were 19 television shows that, that had, some of them had nudity, some of them had bikinis and underwear, but there were 19. In 2009, there were 29. In 2019, when Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, all these stations doing original programming, there were 144 uh, different television shows where we had nudity, uh, that we were able to get nudity for, for our website. And the thing too is, it's not just female nudity, Male nudes is pretty close to that too. I think we, it was neck and neck, uh, 144 to 142 when we did that survey in, 19, in 2019. We are in the golden age of celebrity nudity. It's just more from television. And, and think of this, in the, in the 1990s, if you watched a great television show, it wouldn't have nudity in it. It just, it didn't exist. Maybe maybe sex in the city late in the decade uh the sopranos started in what 99 but you, you didn't expect to see nudity in a great tv show now any great television show has nudity it's just part of the thing i mean it doesn't matter you know whether it's hbo netflix whatever if you see a great nude scene you're not shocked anymore so i i really think we're in the golden age of celebrity nudity but it's because of television not because of movies yeah, I don't. I didn't hear anyone complaining about nudity in Game of Thrones. No, like that never, ever, ever came up by anybody. Right, and you—that's a good point because you know people that I went to school with would never like something like Game of Thrones, be with dragons and elves and all the monsters. But then all of a sudden, the cool people in quotations mm. started liking this stuff, and with all the violence and nudity, I was, what? Where'd this come from? Right. <laughs> so it's something interesting there. Uh, so and, and, and I think it's ref what's reflective in uh, feature films is that it's not it's not as big a deal now, and we're kind of educating part of the public that rarely goes to the movies because they everybody watches TV, you know, everyone's watching TV, but not everybody goes to the theater. Well, nobody's going now, but 
<laughs> under normal times. And I think that, that you're, you're going to sort of see the, the audience, not the conservative people who hate it no matter what, but you, you're kind of, you're kind of teaching an audience of, of media watchers that it's kind of normal. And so I think it's not a, as big a deal if someone sheds their clothes in a feature film anymore. I think it's more like, is it inherent in the plot or the character development more so than for the exploitative reasons? Right. Um, let's talk about, so this film for film buffs and film fans and students um, draws a lot of similarities to older films, which I'm glad you showcase in this documentary skin. Uh, so something like uh, the, the movie Women in Love that has the male fight scene, which is, you know, brought to my attention like Eastern Promises with the male fight scene in there too. Uh, was there something that during your research and making the documentary that you did not know about that you saw later in a film, but then you're like, oh, this was the inspiration to this long ago? Because I know you're all like cinephiles here, but... Mm. But something yeah, that, like in that uh, realm, um, like, oh, the, that, that one. So something that, that we saw that later in, later you go, oh, they were influenced by correct, ecstasy. Correct. Or, um, That's a good question. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why it's hard to be specific, because so much of cinema from the 30s and 40s on to present is influenced by things people saw in early cinema, you know? So you'll see, you know, like you'll see a shot that some director makes today and you'll go, oh, you know, he's influenced by, you know, Citizen Kane and, and or, or, uh, Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. Um, in terms of how nudity is shown, um, I can't think of anything specific. Can you, Danny? Where you're no, playing? I, just, I, I kind of think to each genre, how it's shown in the context of genres. Yeah. So like in a women in prison film, uh, you have to have nudity because they're shower scenes. And in the showers and women's prisons, they don't wear clothes. And then you go to the level of, well, these movies are exploitive, but these movies don't get distribution without the nudity. And we covered that a bit with Pam Greer talks about it. And I know Sybil Danning does and Martha Coolidge even where a lot of these scenes and nudity are put in because of distribution. And if they don't have a certain number of nude scenes often, uh, they won't get distribution, especially internationally. So that was what I, I found that very fascinating, especially the story of Valley Girl, where Martha Coolidge, and I won't spoil it because I want people to hear her say it, of how the requirement of nudity and how many nude scenes often in scripts was very important. They're just not thrown in there all the time to be gratuitous. That there's there is a bigger strategy amongst uh, putting these scenes in there, and we covered that, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, you wonder why, you know, you think um, why were there so many nude scenes in teen sex comedies from between 1980 and 1985? Yeah. And when you hear the director talk, you understand that oh, right. not because the director necessarily wanted to do it because they were required to do it you know it's it's if they wanted to get the film made and, and make money they had to do a certain amount of nude scenes it's just the way it was obviously that changed when john hughes came around but uh um anyway it was very interesting to hear about that in that that 1980 to 1985 range that was cool and i gotta give props to the editing department here because it's so well edited especially the julie andrews segment where the reveal and all the applause, because I did the same thing out loud. <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> you stand up and applaud for Julie. And did y'all try to get her in on the, on the dock? Did we, Danny? Is she, on I, this, is she on this wall that I'm still looking at? Here, do you want to see this wall, Brian? I know. <laughs> this is the actual wall. Oh, my. Where, here, let me stand up. These cards, this is the layout and the design for the skin dock. Oh my! And it's not coming down till we launch our next dock. Okay. And when we do, we'll, we'll take it all down and we'll we'll have a new wall. But Julie uh, Andrews, is, she's not on this wall. But I think we thought no way, because because Danny called Barbara Streisand's agent, and she said no. But I thought you that know, was funny that Danny actually called Barbara Streisand's agent. We we you know yeah you cast the widest net. I mean Kathy Bates. I would have loved to interview Kathy Bates for about Schmidt. 
because yeah. when that movie came out, the most everyone talked about, oh, Kathy Bates has done nudity at her age. And I thought that was very important. And we do include it in the documentary. She would have been cool to interview. But I mean, we, you know, you go after everyone, you know, Kathleen right. Turner, we were very close to getting Teresa yeah. Russell, I can name other names. Um, but I was, I think we're all very happy with who we got. And by I the way, I do appreciate your shout out to the editing department because yeah. uh, Steve yeah, Austin, our editor, he, he, he Stone he, Cold. Yeah, Stone yeah. Cold. <laughs> he was Stone before Cold Stone Cold. He was before the Million Dollar Man, whatever. <laughs> he, um, you know, he was so excited because we were reviewed in the Hollywood Reporter last week and he said to me, I can die now. I was, something I worked on was, was, um, reviewing the Hollywood Reporter. I mean, he takes it seriously. He's another film buff. I grew up with him. Uh, and we saw a lot of movies together and he's extremely creative and extremely disorganized, but extremely creative. <laughs> That's funny. So as long you know, as Danny, as long as Danny organizes him, we're in good shape, you know? You, you know, you guys mentioned Barbara Streisand. If, if you would have got her, um, I would have had to dust off my Japanese laser disc of the Owl and the Pussycat. The only time she was ever topless is in the Japanese laser disc of the Owl and the Pussycat. So, yeah. I knew that. That would have made that would have been in the documentary. And we knew yeah. you had it. We knew you had it. So. <laughs> I can't understand the thing they're saying, but that scene's in there. Exactly. That is awesome. All right, here's a fun question for you, uh, for all of you, and we'll start. Um, with you, Jim. What is the most thrilling movie experience, both as a fan and as, you know, a filmmaker and purveyor of your site? Um, well, I think it's early stuff, you know. Um, I gotta tell you, uh, when I first got cable TV and the Betamax, I, I wasn't in a theater, obviously, I was in my home. But imagine waking up one morning and, and I had taped Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, a 1976 uh, uh, drive-in movie. And I start fast-forwarding, and I stop, because Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, has four topless scenes in the first 33 minutes of the movie. And I remember, I remember this. I thought to myself, if Linda Carter has been nude, who else is out? Who else has done nudity? And I've been on a quest ever since. So I, I think that thing you discover early as a kid um, sometimes lasts, you know, obviously it lasts a long time, but it, it, it's so powerful. And, and that experience for me was, was really cool. I have a lot of others, but that one stands out. And then as a, is, is that in, in, as a filmmaker as well, or purveyor of the, this Mr. Skin? Is there, is there like a thrilling moment that you well, want to be part here, of? This would be a weird one, but, um, I remember I was watching, uh, the first season of True Detective on HBO with my wife. And now I had been doing Mr. Skin for 16 years or so, whatever. And um, I remember Alexander Daddario had that sex scene with Woody Harrelson. And I turned to my, this was in January, and I turned to my wife and said, that's going to be the best nude scene of the year. And it was January. But I also, <laughs> the, thing, the thing that um, was good for me is like, people ask me all the time, are you jaded? Are you do you like not care about nude scenes anymore? But what that made me realize is I was just excited to see that or just like the beauty of it. You know, I was in awe of the scene as I would have been when I was that kid that liked Linda Carter and Bobby Joe and the Outlaws. So that made me feel good that I'm not jaded. I still love this stuff and I'm still a fan. I like that. All right. What about you, Danny? Uh, but like most thrilling movie making experience and a movie as a fan. Well, most thrilling to me because I love audience participation. And it's funny, I've seen Rocky Horror several times at midnight here, which still plays, and it's not, I don't like the movie, and I don't like going to see acted out. But to me, like, again, going, hanging out at Quentin Tarantino's theater, it's always audience participation, everyone's yelling at the screen. Every Charles Bronson movie, from Kinjate to Death Wish 5, those are thrilling experiences for me. I went to the only Showgirls live performance acted out in LA they ever did. They did one. And because I was such a fan of the movie Showgirls, I think it's a masterpiece that I got. I went to the only like Rocky horror performance of Showgirls where they acted the entire movie out in front of the screen. Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which I think is an amazing movie, extremely underrated film. 
they were doing midnight shows every week in LA for two years at midnight. Often it would start at 2 a.m. because they were doing skits and contests. And I found myself like twice a month going to see Hedwig and the Angry Inch acted out completely live with a live band in front of the screen doing the entire soundtrack. So I don't know if that skews off a little bit what you asked, but my, the thrilling movie experiences for me are the ones where, you know, you stand in line for two hours to get in with like-minded fans of the same film and everyone's in there. Like, it's like a clubhouse. I like when a theater's turned into a clubhouse and everyone's there for one reason. And going to, you know, America's Cinematheque or the New Beverly Cinema, everybody in line are cinephiles. They all talk about movies before you get in. And then everyone respects the film. No one has their phone on. No one talks. People are yelling out lines that they should be yelling out. So I just like that experience. I love the going to theaters as much as I can, but going with fans that are hardcore and appreciate what they're seeing. And if there's a live performance in the movie, that's a bonus. Yeah, there you go. Awesome, awesome. Well, what about you, Paul? Well, I, I explained, I guess I already mentioned that just seeing Harold and Maude changed my life. Um, I, I'm different than Danny. If I go see a film that um, moves me in a way or surprises me in a way, or I feel like this is the best thing I've seen this year, uh, to me, that's such a, just a rewarding thing and it, and it sticks with me. So... So for me, I mean, if I think back, you know, obviously Harold and Maude changed the way I viewed movies. And then I think I, I had a film course in college where um, the, you know, the teacher showed Chinatown, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, three Preston Sturgis movies, two Buster Keaton movies, uh, some other crazy stuff. And I was like, this is film course. This is film school. And I'm seeing Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And just kind of saying to myself, God, there's so many different great kinds of movies. And then, of course, I met Russ Meyer and became friends with him. So that's just a whole different part of the story. Because um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls sticks with me. But it was just sort of that, that sort of that experience that film can change your life every time you go. In terms of filmmaking personal story, it was just a thrill for me to meet John Cleese and, inter and Danny interviewed him. I was going to interview him, but Danny had done a hundred percent of the interviews. And when we got to the place to do the interview, Danny's like, let, let me handle it. You know, cause he thought I was going to, you know, I probably would have been a geek fan. So, yeah. so just meeting John Cleese, that was sort of the highlight of this whole making, making these documentaries. So. Awesome. 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 And, and meeting Mr. Skin. Obviously. Right. No, of course. No, I mean, awe. <laughs> and meeting and meeting Gina Gershon. Oh, and yes. That, that too. <laughs> Gina Gershon. And getting to talk about Killer Joe. Which no, is, oh, oh so, the drumstick. Yeah. So Unbelievable. I, it is so good. I saw the premiere of that uh, in Texas. Because it was based Joe. off a Texas Magazine article. Oh, Killer and, Joe. Yeah, and Gina Gershon out of nowhere. And they said, like, how Reese Witherspoon was originally for that role but she didn't want to do the first nude scene with, you know, full frontal, but the jump stick was fine. But yeah. Gina Gershon, legendary. My goodness, that movie's good. <laughs> yeah. She's very, and she's also very underrated. She is. Yeah. Very underrated, underappreciated. Oh, it was, it was great. Uh, so recently I did uh, feature an article on uh, the most surprising nudity and sex scenes in cinema. And I'm curious on what's or some of your most surprising ones. So like mine would be like a clockwork orange, specifically the sequence of the William Tell Overture orgy, because it is one of the it's the only full length uh, consensual sex in the movie. And it happens on a whim at a music store <laughs> to the William Tell Overture. And it's yeah. just like, oh, that's, that's surprising, you know, along with maybe pink flamingos or uh, Team America or even Eyes Wide Shut, but uh, what, what are some of your most surprising scenes of nudity or sex scenes that are just like, oh, surprise? Well, we have an expert. We should go with him. Well, I, I, I don't know if his angle and my angle are the same. I look at it, I'm asked a lot, what, what is the most, who are you most surprised? Who, who would we be surprised did a nude scene? That's always a big question. So I, if, if, 
if if I could answer that, I you know I got to say Marsha from the Brady Bunch, uh, Maureen McCormick did an obscure movie in 1981 called Texas Lightning, where at the hour and four minute mark she's topless. Which the fact that it's Marsha Brady, the fact that that was her only nude scene. Um, the fact that it even happened uh, blows people's mind. Another one is um, Molly Ringwald. Uh, I don't think, you know, she was in all those John Hughes movies and, uh, you know, was the, the good girl. Uh, she did a movie in 1995 called Malicious where 15 minutes in, she's on top of a guy and she's t topless. And I think those are an example. And Julie Andrews, we brought up, you know, she was Mary Poppins and she's in the documentary. Yeah. Uh, those are Those are three that come to mind as, surprising from the standpoint of you would be surprised that they did nude scenes. Oh, wow. That, that brings a whole nother level of topic to my head. Yeah, who, was, yeah. who would be the most? And my mind went to uh, the woman who played Gilbert Grape's mother. I was like, has she done a nude scene? Something like that. You know, for me, I think what was most surprising when I first saw it was the basic instinct scene with Sharon Stone because Never before had a major, beautiful, A-list star shown that. And you, you like, you're in the theater and you go, wait, what? Did I just see that? And you just have to either see the movie again or wait for the, at the time, I guess, a VHS release to see it. But, but for me, it's Julianne Moore in Shortcuts because of the matter-of-factness of that and because I love redheads. That was a scene that will always live in infamy with her just walking around bottomless. And when I had the VHS tape of Shortcuts, I have to admit that I never rewound it past that scene. So <laughs> just letting everybody know that. So I do have a little of that Mr. Skinness in me. Um, so I think Julianne Moore and, and Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, those are to me the two surprising sex scenes when I first saw them. All right. I mean, I not sex scenes, nude scenes. I brought up Kathy Bates earlier. So Jim, how did the how did the Kathy Bates scene rank? Yeah, because that was such a surprise because you didn't expect. Well, Kathy she had Bates done it. She actually had done a nude scene in that play in the Fields of the Lord uh, many years before. So it it wasn't uh, her first nude scene, but the fact that it was in a mainstream Hollywood film and what she showed. It definitely puts it up there as one of the more surprising nude scenes. I think to me, if we're going to go that way, where people you wouldn't expect maybe because they aren't quote, you know, what you would consider attractive would be uh, Jessica Tandy and Camellia when she was 90, uh, she was 84 years old in a 1994 movie, uh, Camellia, where she goes for a skinny dip. And I think uh, that didn't make our, it's not in the documentary, but that's an example of, you know, you don't expect an 84-year-old famous actress to get completely nude and go for a skinny dip, but she did. It's great, too. Hmm. Oh, that's why I love you, Jim. You just have this knowledge that <laughs> is just like right off the top of my head and how far into it. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> that is wonderful. Um, and so, you know, to kind of wrap this up, what are your hopes and dreams for this documentary? Do you want it like, I, I mean, I said I want it in all schools. I want this part of the Criterion Collection. I want this to be uh, part of it. What are, what are the hopes uh, that you hope that people take away from this uh, amazing film? What, what, uh, what it's kind of, I'll, I'll give a quick answer for it. It's what's already happening in a lot of the reviews is that people are learning a lot uh, and it's educational. And yes, this should be shown in, in college film cinema courses all over the, the country. Absolutely, because it isn't just about, you're not just gonna see nudity and nude scenes. It really is a thorough history of cinema and nudity within cinema, again, from the 1880s to today. So, you know, it's, it's gratifying when you talk to critics and reviewers and you're reading that they're learning a lot that they never knew. And there are film scholars that are writing and reviewers saying, wow, I didn't even know this about the film, the pre-code and the pre-code films and the code and Joseph Bream and Will Hayes and that period of time. So it's, to me, I, I'm, I like that people are getting uh, an education in cinema and the history of film. In addition to all the great nudity and it's really entertaining and fun and it's very fast paced, but I, I like that people are, you know, they're learning a lot and stuff that they think they know everything about Hollywood and they're learning a whole nother side that they never knew from our documentary. All right. Awesome. 
And uh, my last fun question for all of you, is there anyone that has not had a nude scene in a film or TV show that you want to see nude? <laughs> Let's give it to Jim. Well, I think um, there's two in my life. Um, Raquel Welch is probably the, the biggest name that should have done a nude scene, especially the era that she was famous. Uh, how she didn't do a, a true nude scene is beyond me. Um, modern day Christina Hendricks, the office manager from Mad Men, is, uh, needs to do a nude scene. Uh, but there's, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot, but those are two that come to mind. Um, you know, um, you were talking about the hopes and dreams. And I'd like to say that my hopes and dreams are that everybody goes and rents this thing on Amazon and iTunes and Fandango. And so we can recoup the money. That's my <laughs> hope and dream. Um, um, I, I, uh, um, I'll, I'll let Danny have the last word on that one. You know, who hasn't done a sex scene? Isla Fisher for me. Oh. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I was, you know, it's funny. I was thinking of Isla Fisher. Yeah. And he's a redhead and Paul already. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess Jim Raquel Welch were, I'm, I'm thinking of the last of Sheila, but I believe her and Diane Cannon were just in bikinis. Right. There, she yeah. came, listen, she came close a lot. Uh, she even did a made uh, for TV movie. Um, in 1989 called Trouble in Paradise, where the good news is she takes her top off. The bad news is her, her back is to the camera. But for some reason, she just, even in Myra Breckenridge, she never uh, was nude. But lots of bikinis, lots of sexy moments. She was obviously stunning and gorgeous, but never did an official nude scene. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me on the show today. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Paul, will you want to tell everybody again where they can find this? Sure, uh, I seem to be the one pushing it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's available on demand wherever you rent movies. So if you have DirecTV, you can rent it. If you have uh, Spectrum Cable, mm -hmm. you might not be able to find it, but it's there. You have to type it in. But um, when you go to Amazon or iTunes or any of those places, just make Apple sure. Apple TV, yeah. Yeah, well, Apple TV and iTunes are the same, yeah. pretty much. But it's Skin, A History of Nudity in the Movies, there right? Because if you just type in Skin, you're going to find a couple films from like 2019 and 2017. And, you know, the title was too good. Our distributor, I said to our distributor, there's other titles called Skin. Do you want to change it? And our distributor said, absolutely not. We like it. So you got to go with the distributor, Quiver distribu Distribution. Yeah. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Thanks for having us.